Hello, glorious people of the interwebs. Welcome to another installment of the Internet Movie Firearms Podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Dr. Gary, resident firearms enthusiast and movie enthusiast. However, I am not an expert. And as always, all these are my opinions and my opinions alone. So go ahead and get yourself a second one on everything that I say. Now, do I have what I hope is a heavy hitter film today to talk about? And one that I I think is going to lead into a lot other movies. And we're going to start it off with the hit movie World War Z from 2013. Um, World War Z, one of the better zombie movies out there, I would would say. Um, And what's tough about zombies is there's a whole bunch of high budget, low budget variations on the zombie genre from TV shows, movies, all that. So we'll probably have to start branching into zombie stuff. And and honestly, zombie fiction is one of my favorites. I love post-apocalyptic things. Um, Probably my favorite genre of all time, just because it verges on fantasy with reality and, and humanity, best slash worst of I think it's kind of fun. So let's get to it. As always, this is a movie podcast. So the Internet Movie Firearm Podcast. I break everything down into three acts. The first act, I talk about the movie, fun facts about the movie, plot points, spoilers, general review of the movie. Second act is the guns that they use in the movie, how they use the guns in the movie, and a trivia that I can come up with the guns that they use in the movie. And the third act, my favorite, as always... What I would do if I were in the movie. Um, If it's an old movie, what guns would I bring back in time? What would I use of the ones that they have? If I could pick any in the world, what would I do? So, uh, a couple disclaimers out of the way also. Kind of do this off the top of my head. I don't have a script. I really don't have notes. I have a couple tabs open on the interwebs. So you may hear me click around a little bit just for reference. Just to make sure I'm not saying anything too stupid. But in reality, uh, most of this is... Again, lunch tile, lunch table style conversation. Um, don't take it too seriously. This isn't an academic piece. This is fun. It's my hobby. Um, so let's get down to it. World War Z, 2013, starring our boy Brad Pitt. Now, when it comes to the movie, I would be disingenuous if I didn't talk about the development of the movie, right? So World War Z is based off of a book. The book has some fun trivia factoids as well, which I'll throw into here. So really, I should probably introduce the book first, then talk about the movie, and then now there's a video game. Um, Depending on how long I ramble, I may jump to the video game, talking about weapons a little bit too. Um, In essence, though, what we're really talking about is zombie fiction. Um, There's a bunch of different ways you can spin off of zombie fiction, World War Z style zombies are a little bit more scary than the Romero, Walking Dead style, slow moving zombies. So World War Z is going to be, their style of zombies is going to be more of along the lines of like 28 Days Later, rage zombies. Fast moving, scary, terrifying, run for your life as opposed to strategy, right? So let's get down to talking about the book a little bit. The book came out in 2006 and is written by Max Brooks. 
Now, if you recognize the name Max Brooks, it's because his dad was Mel Brooks, the, the comedy genius of, I don't know, 70s, 80s, um, like Blazing Saddles and History of the World. Um, not a huge Mel Brooks fan. I do like uh, Blazing Saddles quite a bit, but his other stuff, quirky, zany, kind of spoofy stuff, more along the lines of, like, say, scary movie, right? Over-the-top slapstick comedy. Um, Max Brooks doesn't really take after his dad as far as the comedy element goes, but I do remember, I did read the book World War Z. It's been a long time, so I'm going to be talking kind of out of my butt on it a little bit. Um, I do remember in the cover, like, acknowledgments, Max did say, like, thanks, Dad, for bringing the human element to to my book. Um, which I will say, Max Brooks does a very, very good job of doing with the book World War Z. He also wrote the Zombie Survival Guide as well. Never really read that um, as a huge zombie fan and into the zombie genre, especially like when I was in college. So we're talking 2009-ish to 2012, 2013, which in my mind is like the height of the zombie craze. Um, Just something else we kind of have to talk about when it comes to zombie movies. But I may actually do a whole separate podcast on like zombies in general, which probably would have been better to do before I started talking about this. But I digress. I'm rambling here. So Max Brooks wrote the the book uh, World War Z. The book kind of follows a reporter. So it's after the zombie war already happened. Um, and it's this writer journalist going around and interviewing a bunch of different people and kind of describing what they saw of it. So it's called like the oral history of the zombie war. Um, does it excellently? It, he frames the zombie apocalypse so believable that like, it's, it's funny. Um, I, I'm actually going to, I'm on the Wikipedia page here for World War Z cause I need to refresh your course on it. Um, the, the zombie virus kind of comes from this is going to be funny. Now, to put this in context, if anybody listens to this, you know, the one, if you know, my one downloader, uh, hi mom, um, listens to this years from now, let's put it in context of what's going on in the world right now. It's February, 2021. We just got done with COVID-19 and all the absurdities that came with that. Um, and no matter, everything's politicized nowadays. So no matter what side of the aisle you are on, you have to admit that it's just absurd, right? Um, <laughs> Road War Z and this isn't anything that we haven't seen before right um they talk about the SARS outbreak they talk about like different epidemics from like I don't know if they mentioned Ebola in it but like HIV AIDS things like that it, it he took the reactions and how people handled other pandemics outbreaks things like that and applied it to a zombie virus that's similar to rabies which I think rabies is actually back bacteria not not viral anyway um comes from china they tried to wrap it up and keep it secret and then it broke out and then they're blaming poor people dirty people all this other stuff and eventually it starts spreading throughout the world and different countries handle it different ways based off of how they handled other historical things which is kind of funny looking at it now i should reread this book because i remember liking it i think i read it oh 10 years ago at this point. So, you know, I probably read it. Well, maybe not that long. Probably around 2015, 2014 is when I read this book. Um, I should read it again. Uh, so again, it frames it well. 
since this is the Internet Movie Firearm Podcast, not Book Review Podcast, let's talk about the guns from the book real quick. I was trying to find excerpts from the book online that I could kind of quote it and say what they did. Again, it's been six years or so since I've read the book, but I do remember them creating their own new gun to fight the zombies with, and I want to say, in my mind, I remember them describing it like a, a Ruger 1022. So they, they came up with a new efficient, easy-to-manufacture firearm with easy-to-manufacture ammunition to fight the hordes of zombies because it I think you did need headshots. I think it went off of that lore as well when it came to zombies. So again, don't quote me on that, but I think I remember the book talking about that. Either way, if you're a zombie lover, you probably already read it, and if you haven't read it, definitely go ahead and read the book World War Z. Even if you don't like zombie stuff, the way that he portrays the world reacting to a fake thing is very real. Uh, it's it's a good hyperbole, if you will. A caricature of, of history and how things went down. So, that's the book. Now, the book spawned the movie in 2013 starring Brad Pitt. Um, the movie had a budget of, the internet says, $190 to $270 million. So, we're looking probably in the $200 million-ish range, give or take. And pulled in about $540 million. So, realistically, doubled its budget. Did pretty well. Um, I did not see this in theaters. And I honestly don't even remember when this movie came out. I saw it... Well, it it came out clearly in 2013. But I don't remember it having a big hubbaloo. At the time, though, I would have been in the end of college. And I've been worried about other things. Not necessarily movies. Um, trying to, like, get jobs and go to grad school. Things like that. So... At this point in my life, I saw it after it was released significantly. Um, big fan of the movie overall. Like most of the movies I review, I'm probably going to be big fans of them, or else I wouldn't review them um, for this podcast. Um, I would give it a, an A-, minus, right? If you're going to stream it, definitely stream it. Um, rent it, for sure. I've purchased it. I own it. This is one that I'll throw in every now and again whenever I want to watch it because the action sequences are pretty good it's a very well done movie um follows a similar going into plot a little bit a similar format as the book where it's like individual little nuggets of story so the character brad pitt is like a u.n investigator a retired u.n investigator that um comes back in Again, it reminds me of that trope of like, I don't do this anymore. And then they're like, but we need you. You're the our only hope. You know, damn you for putting me in this position. So that's Brad Pitt. And he starts jumping around the world to investigate to see if he can figure out how to stop the, the, the war. So the book kind of jumps around and interviews and get, travels the world interviewing people after the zombie war. Brad Pitt's character is doing it mid-zombie outbreak. And that's kind of how it starts the movie off. Um... Again, I would I would buy it. I like it. I think it's a good enough movie. But if you if you like action movies, zombie movies, definitely buy it. If you're not into action, um, I would say stream it. I don't know too many people who don't find it entertaining. Like even my parents like this. I don't say even my parents, but my parents like the movie. I have some older friends who liked it. I have you know people of my era, and I you know. I would say most people like the movie. I can't, I don't know too many who don't like it. Um, so I'm sure the, the critics out there would find some beef with something on it, but I, th I think it does a, a very good job. So worth, worth seeing the plot. What happens? I, I touched on it, but what happens is, is 
Um, Brad Pitt's character, Jerry. Um, I'm just going to call him Brad Pitt because there isn't that much characterization in it. There's some cool lines that they use. But he's with his family living in the city and the zombie outbreak happens when he's like taking them to school. And he starts uh, getting his family to safety. Eventually gets his family on from old connections out of the city to an aircraft carrier. And then they said, well, if you want to stay on this aircraft carrier, you have to do work for us. So his family is there then. And then he goes out on his own with a, a, a doctor and some military people to, to research and ends up in like Israel, ends up in, I think England is where he ends up as well. North Korea or on the, the DMZ of Korea. Um, it's been a little bit since I, I'd probably say about a year since I've seen the movie. So I'm going to be doing some of this off the top of my head again. Um, travels the world basically, um, to research how these zombies are going on. And he discovers some things, um, basically that the spoiler alert, um, the zombies don't attack the weak, right? So they want to attack other zombies and infect strong to spread themselves. So there was like, I think a little boy with cancer that they passed right over. And I think that's how in the book i can't remember if that's what they do and i think they were supposed to make a sequel and it's like basically they make a vaccine where you inject your and that's what happens in the movie when he goes like a cdc headquarters he injects himself with a disease that's curable that way the zombies don't attack him because why would they want to attack something disease to spread on the disease to the zombie ranks kind of like an evolutionary spin on the zombie um the zombie genre so i i like that i think it's very original as far as that stuff goes um, like I said, the zombies in this movie are the fast-moving mob-style zombies, like Rage. Um, not necessarily like the Living Dead, where they're like slow-stumbling mobs of zombies. It's fast-moving stampedes of zombies. Um, I believe you need to shoot them in the head or decapitate them to kill them. Um, if you get bit, you can spread, and in the movie, with one of the IDF soldiers, um, she gets bit, and um, Brad Pitt chops her arm off, and that keeps her from turning. So, some of those usual tropes do continue into the, the movie. Um, sound and noise attracts them, so you can sneak by, because they are kind of dumb and brainless. Right, so you can't sneak by by being quiet where they can't see you. So if you're quiet, quick, out of sight, you can't avoid them. If they start getting wound up, they'll get more of them wound up, and then you then have a stampede on your hands and you're dead, basically. So um, when it comes to zombie lore, pretty standard overall, with a couple new spins as far as like the the cure of the zombie sickness, but. Eh, Standard, fast-running, moving zombies. So, that pretty much sums up Act 1. Again, um, I think this should be a, a quicker podcast, but it looks like, oh man, I'm already at 15 minutes talking about the book and the movie. So let's get on to Act 2. Let's get on with it. The Guns of World War Z. Now, it takes place in 2013 and should take place kind of modern era, so it's going to be mostly modern military-style weapons. Um, now, I'm using the Internet Movie Firearm Database uh, page for this, the movie, since it does jump around a lot, there isn't like a hero gun. There isn't like a, um, this is the zombie gun of all zombie guns in the movie. The, the guns are tools that they use, but they, they aren't 
characters in and of themselves. So I'm just going to kind of go down the list that they have on the webpage because trying to organize it chrono chronologically or going over uh, hero guns would just be a waste of time, I think. So can't be a modern movie without a Glock. So Glock 17 is in it, um, used by police and military. Um, in the movie, the page lists Gen 2 and Gen 3 Glocks. Honestly, when it comes to Glocks, they all realistically look the same, so it kind of doesn't matter, but that would be accurate. You know, the I would say the most popular... If you have a Glock that's been in service with a police for a very long time, it is going to be the Gen 2s. Uh, my buddies who are sheriffs, they all use Gen 2s, and they've looked like they've been, you know, run drug behind a truck because they've been in service for so long, and, and Glocks are good for that. They do... Now, when it comes to Glocks, I like to talk a lot of trash on Glocks and 1911s, but in all honesty, I do like them. I've owned them. I've shot them. I've built them. I respect the design. The ergonomics aren't that great. The triggers are pretty bad, but when it comes to just using reliability, ease of use, ease of maintenance, all that stuff, manufacturing, the Glocks have inspired a whole generation of, of pistols. So you have the, the Gen 2, which you can kind of tell it's a Gen 2 because it doesn't really have... Um, you can tell because of the way it is. Just kidding, as always. It the dust cover doesn't have the pick the rails for uh, sights, and it doesn't have finger grooves. Um, Gen three, you get the finger grooves. You get the rail. Then Gen four, you still have the finger grooves with it different grip textures. And then Gen fives, they go back to no finger grooves, but updated things. Um, then you have like I think the two pin versus one pin Glocks. I I can't keep them all straight generically for all everybody out there who doesn't know about Glocks Gen 3 is kind of the most popular um that's one with the finger grooves if you're looking at the Glock clones that have come out where people are making the Gucci Glocks Palmer 80 frames different frames whether it be Zev or Shadow Systems um most use Gen 3 format I have built two different Gen 3 Glocks end up getting rid of them because they just don't speak to me. Um, but they are fun. And what's cool about them is they use less parts than anything else. When Gaston Glock designed it, I think in the 80s for military trials, he never designed a gun before. But he just kind of looked at it and said, I can simplify all this stuff. Why are these so complicated? And I want to say they only use like 32 pieces or 31 pieces total for the gun. So I do respect the design of it, even though they have the ergonomics of a 2x4 and their triggers suck. Um, so, Glock's in the movie, not a bad choice. Realistically, when in doubt, Glock is an easy answer, um, as much as I don't like it. SIG 229, um, like I've said before in other podcasts, the P-22 series kind of put SIG on the map for U.S. shooters. Um, the 229 is the compact version of the P-226, which is used by the Navy SEALs and competed against Beretta, mostly for the military trials in the 80s. So, Good police military handgun. Compact. Uh, when I say compact, I mean more midsize. So it's 9mm. I think they hold like 15 rounds. Um, I've always wanted one so I could shoot it in 40, 357 and get a 357 SIG and a 9mm conversion barrel. Because I think that would be a pretty slick way to have, you know, just by swapping barrels, have a pretty functional multi-caliber weapon that isn't a Glock. Um, used in a grocery store scene in the movie. Uh, doesn't get a lot of screen time. Uh, the Breda 92, one of my favorite military sidearms. I just love, 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 love the Berettas. They are bulky. They are heavy. 
um, but I do have big hands and long fingers, so I shoot them well. They are very reliable. Again, there's some debate on how reliable for the old military ones because of the open slide design with sand, and then you had magazine issues with the sand where they came out with different coatings for the magazines because, you know, most pistols work great whenever you're just shooting them at an indoor range, but once you take them out in the desert or in the cold, they can start having issues. So, overall considered a very fine weapon, a great hero weapon for movies, um, debatable with military service, but I... I love mine, and I just shoot them very well. So, for me, even if it isn't the best, it I do well with it. So, great choice. I love them. Some people hate them, but use especially in the the Korea scenes with the military guys. They're they're using the Berettas. Um, oh, now we're jumping to one of my favorite handguns of all time, the Jericho 941R. Now, when it comes to the not Jerichos 941s. There's an interesting history here, and I'm gonna give me one second. I gotta take a sip before I uh, start going on about these ones. So the Jericho pistol is an Israeli military pistol, hammer-fired, nine millimeter. Normally they're all steel. They do make a polymer one. There's a lot of variations, and I didn't research the timeline on when this comes down, but. To talk about the Jericho, we have to talk about the CZ-75. Um, the CZ-75 is probably the pistol... It, I would say you take the Browning High Power, um, Hand on Your Heart, John Moses Browning, um, and some other Belgian guy. Um, the Browning High Power is one of the first double-stack, finger quotes here, high-capacity 9mm handguns. Then shortly came... The CZ-75 and I think 1975. I, I would say it has to deal with in the name, right? Um, very popular Eastern Bloc. Well-designed. I love the CZ handguns. Now, if we're talking about truly, like, over the Beretta, I'll take a CZ over Beretta any day. I love CZs. And because of that, I love Jericho. So, CZ-75 came out in, I think, 1975, uh, just like the name says. So, it's a double stack. 9mm handgun. I talked about the Wonder 9s in one of the previous uh, podcasts. So it, that is one of the early, the, the high power in the CZ-75, probably the predecessors to the Wonder 9 craze of the 80s and 90s. The CZ-75 has one very, very distinct feature that most other modern handguns, and by that I mean pistols, don't have. And their frame goes over top of the slide. Most modern guns, right, if you can imagine, you have the slide in the frame. The slide is whenever you pull the trigger, the part that moves back and forth up top, where it houses the barrel and the fire control groups. And the frame is what you hold onto, the magazine goes into, and houses the trigger. Most of them, that slide goes over top of the frame, which gives you a bigger frame compared to the slide. The CZ, it wraps it around. And there's a couple other guns that have used it since, like the Stars, uh, various Jerichos, a bunch of CZ clones. Um... Allegedly, it makes a very low recoiling pistol. It keeps the bore axis low, so that way, it you know, if you think about leverage, it doesn't have as much leverage on your hand when it recoils compared to other platforms. I've shot various different kinds of guns with it. A recoil is kind of a recoil. It's going to happen with 9mm. Like, it's not going to blow your hand off, but you're going to feel it. Um, you're, you're, you're not going to... It's not like a laser gun. So, the CZ-75 has that distinct feature. 
In America, we weren't able to get CZ-75s, so a lot of clones popped up. And one of the most notable ones was made in Italy. Uh, we know it now as the EAA Witness, imported by EAA. But it's actually Tanfoglio, made in Italy, and they called it the TZ-75. So it's an Italian clone of uh, the Czech CZ-75 gun, right? So, realistically, we're talking air quotes, high capacity, nine millimeter hammer fired. So it's double action, single action, um, with the frame that goes over top of the slide, right? A deep inset, uh, slide. So you had the, you have the CZ 75 that was original. Then you had the Italian copy, which is the Tanfoglio that we know is the EA witness because it's an import, right? Change names when it imported. Um, so we could get those in America because we weren't able to get those Eastern Bloc ones, right? During the whole Cold War thing, all that. Um, the Jericho, I believe, is a clone of a clone. So it is a clone of the Tanfoglios. So, but it's the same form factor, right? When it comes to CZs, the CZ clones, whether it be the Turkish clones from like Kanik or Yannick, um, Sarsalmaz... Um, I don't know if Gerson makes any as well, but you have the Jerichos, the Tanfoglios from Italy, use the same magazines, a lot of the parts interchange, uh, same exact form factor, manual of arms exactly the same. So I know I'm rambling a little bit here, but the Jericho stemmed from that CZ-75. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal service pistol. They shoot great, they're accurate, they're reliable, they're great in the desert, um, the only downside, and I will say this, the only downside of these are, since the slide is smaller, it's hard to rack the slide. So I prefer a slide-mounted safety, so I can grab a hold of those ears of the safeties and rack that slide easier. Some would argue that that's kind of dangerous because you can decock it or put the safety on. I shouldn't say dangerous. It could cause a malfunction without you knowing it, right? It can slow you down because you accidentally hit a safety or decock it. I've never had that happen to me. I've never been in a firefight, right, with one or at all. So, hey, whatever, maybe it's wrong, but that's how I rack them. So you can, just like with the Berettas versus the Taurus, right, get the slide-mounted versus frame-mounted safeties. I like the slide-mounted because it gives me something to grab onto with that low-profile slide. Now, when it comes to the Jerichos, I don't exactly know the history on it, but you'll there's a bunch of Israeli manufacturers so there was IMI for Israel military industries I believe which then eventually switched to IWI that we know now that also has branches in Harrisburg Pennsylvania that imports guns and makes some of their own guns so throughout time the Jericho has been called the Jericho it has been called the baby desert eagle it has been called um the baby Uzi or, or something like that, or the Uzi pistol, but not Uzi Uzi, right? Um, the 941s, it, it has a bunch of names, right? I, I generally just call them Jericho. I think that's the coolest name of them. Uh, Bull, B-U-L, made some called the Cherokee that are being imported now. So depending on who made them, whether it be Bull, IWI slash IMI, mag, imported by Magnum Research, which were Bull guns. It's one of those guns that has been made a bunch of times in a bunch of different variations, with a bunch of different names imported in America by a bunch of different people. All, again, all the same form factor, almost all the same quality, phenomenal, phenomenal guns. I love them. So that is the Jericho pistol. Sorry for rambling. Uh, we have the M&P in it. And that's, again, another 
drugstore shootout one. Oh, yeah, but it looks like that's the same. It uses the same pictures as the SIG 229. So it says it's in the movie. I can't remember it being in one way or another. But your modern striker fired polymer 9mm handgun. Um, MMPs are pretty good. I like the 2.0 a lot better than the 1.0. Great addition if you're like, I want a gun and I don't know which one to get to fight zombies. 9mm is pretty good for it, and all those guns are pretty good for it. Um, Smith & Wesson 38 Special is um, used by one of the minor side characters that's in it. You don't really see much action with it. Um, other than the little boy uses it, which if for a kid, revolver and 38 special would probably be a good zombie gun for him because 38 special can be downloaded very weak with like range ammo. Um, revolvers are manual of arms, very simple to use when in doubt, you just pull the trigger loading. It can be a little tricky if they don't know how to do it and you don't hold it right. You can hurt yourself overall, but revolvers generally point and shoot, uh, manual of arms is, is pretty simple once you understand the concepts of them. So Smith & Wesson Model 1538 Special. Again, I'm a Smith & Wesson fan, so I can't can't complain there. Uh, Benelli Supernova Tactical. Allegedly, the only way that you can tell was by the pistol grip, which I never would have known. Um, so, standard tactical 12-gauge shotgun. Um, and then a Remington 870 pump shotgun, which is used in like a cutscene. So, as far as shotguns, not too many. Which, if I ever do uh, Dawn of the Dead, um, you know, that movie's all about shotguns. This movie is not when it comes to the zombies. Uh, let's look. Now, let's get into rifles a little bit. So, a lot of military rifles. You see the M16s in it, the A2. So, the old school looking long barrel with the carry handle um, post front sights. Uh, in the movie, just kind of all the soldiers all, all have the the ones there is a gratuitous shot and the only reason i would have caught this is because the internet tells me um they do show an armalite rifle uh on one of the, the like the stampings on one of the rifles a close-up shot of it which is kind of cool so for those who don't know ar and and like the ar-15 uh stands for armalite rifle not assault rifle so you know ar-15 is america's rifle originally designed by eugene stoner when he was working for armalite then eventually sold the colt to manufacture um the rights of it were sold to colt to manufacture for like vietnam and stuff like that so it's been our service rifle forever and we've sent it all over the world so no doubt that a military you know besides the ak-47 i'd say the m16 slash ar-15 platform is going to be the most prolific uh m4 carbine which is a shortened version of the m16 the ones in the movie are pretty tactical out with uh, all the gear from various red dots and reflex sites. Um, great choice, I would think, you know, especially if you're talking about accuracy, reliability, um, where you need headshots more so than just brute power. The, the 5.56 round that the AR uses, I think, would be a pretty good one because it's fast. It can make that hydrostatic, what is it, hydro, hydrostatic effect? Whenever a bullet goes super fast, it disrupts tissue. Um, more so than having big expansion with big wound cavities. If you go super quick, it'll just, you know, buzz through and disrupt, you know, if you think human-level tissues. Um, uh, some more M4 carbines, some with grenade launchers, some without. Uh, ooh, a cool old-school CAR-15 variant. So think, like, Vietnam-era stubby... Um, stubby, short-barreled 
AR that's used in the Israeli Israel scenes. Um, they're pretty cool. Pretty cool overall. They're pretty popular now with with clones. Um, there's a Tavor. Obviously, whenever he's in Israel, they're going to have some Israel military guns. So the Tavor is a bullpup, which for those of you guys who don't know, bullpups are guns that the magazine and action, like the, the firing parts of the gun are actually held back in front, or I'm sorry, behind the trigger. So if you think about your usual AK-47 AR-15, you're, if you hold onto the grip, the magazine is right in front of your grip where the trigger is. The bullpup is actually behind it. So it's kind of like they flip the gun and build it in reverse. The benefit of it, of it is you have a shorter rifle overall, but since that barrel pretty much comes all the way back, this is a gross overgeneralization, comes a lot closer back to where your shoulder is, you have a shorter rifle with a longer barrel. Um, so having a smaller, more compact gun is like very good for using like in um, vehicles, close quarters, things like that. It, that format is pretty cool. They do look like space guns. Um, the issues with them is, like, if you're shooting prone, reloads can be a little bulky. Uh, there's, pr like, everything there's pros and cons. So, I like bullpups. I've never owned a bullpup, but I, I'm, I would like to get one. Um, but, again, there's a Tavor in here uh, made by IWI slash IMI slash Israeli. And keeping hold of what company owns what at this point is kind of difficult with Israel. But Israel makes good stuff. They really do. Um, they're constantly fighting wars, not to get too political, but... They do make good weapons. Um, there's a couple AKs. Your usual AK-47 shoots 7.62 by 39. Great addition uh, when it comes to modern assault-style rifles and military rifles. You know, you have again, you have your M16 slash M4s, AR-15s, then you have AK-47s, and everything else is competing for third place. Um, a cool gun that is used as well, Remington 700. Um... He finds it in uh, Brad Pitt's character whenever he's fleeing in the beginning part of the movie. He's running, um, running out of trying to flee the city to to get to safety. They commandeer an RV and they find it in the RV. A little convenient, if you would say, some plot armor there. Um, but it's pretty neat because he does use it in the shootout in the grocery store, which, um, you know, a hunting rifle close range would just really put a hurting on someone just put a big wall up on them so you know bold action with a scope not the best for close quarters combat but he does it and he makes it well and he also does uh, a homemade bayonet by taking a, a steak knife and taping it to the barrel of it whenever they're escaping apartment complex so eh, kind of neat there i like it uh oh let's talk about machine guns my favorite uh fn mini me which, uh, if I remember, is pretty similar to the Saw as far as operating goes. I think the Mini-Me was the precursor to the Saw. I could be wrong. It's been a while since I read the handbooks on stuff like that. Um, but your your usual light machine gun shooting 5.56, five, it's in a helicopter. Um, then there's another Mini-Me, the paratrooper version. And there's some Israeli... Uh, heavy, or I should say light machine guns that they, they use quite a bit would be awesome because you have a ton of ammo to fight zombies with, especially since it's like a horde of zombies. Problem is they're heavy and they're hard to carry, take a long time to reload. So it's one of those ones, if you had like a 200 round, you know, ammo box on it, mag dump, um, uh, as much as you can, and then hopefully don't get a malfunction. And then once it's empty, just throw it and run because trying to lug a, you know, 
15, 20 pound machine gun would be pretty tricky. A couple other big heavy machine guns mounted on helicopters and stuff like that from um, 308 to 50 cals. Um, but, you know, I like small arms more than the big heavy machine gun stuff because I can't get a hold of the big 50 cal machine guns. I can get a hold of some other things. Um, that's about it as far as um, the movie goes, as far as the guns. Again, not a lot of hero guns, but they do, they do use them. Uh, one thing I did want to point out when it comes to tactics of zombies, when it comes to prepping, a lot of people really, and I'm one included, when it comes to prepping, you have the idea of like bug in and versus bug out, right? Bug in, you stay where you can, you know, I'm in my home, I know my home, I have all my supplies in my home, I'm going to stay here until I can't stay here anymore. And then you bug out, right? So once home, bugging in is no longer an option, then you get out and set out on your feet where you have to like live off of what you can carry, which causes a lot more logistical problems, right? Um, more likely to get hurt, more likely to not have what you need. You have to haul all this stuff. You can't go far. Where do you go? Yada, yada, yada. In the movie, though, Brad Pitt talks, because he's like a UN investigator and has all this history of going to, you know, third world countries where there's war and famine and all that. And, you know, and he says, you know, those who don't move die kind of thing. And, and it's really with how this movie goes and again it's a movie but the perspective that brad pitt's character talks about in the movie is you have to move got to keep moving if you keep moving you live and i think there's some value to understanding that perspective but realistically having options open if we're coming to prepping right if we're coming to i need to prepare for the zombie apocalypse you need to be able to bug in and bug out and, and do all that as depending on how all that stuff goes. And that's not just for zombies, but if you prepare for zombies, you're prepared for anything. Uh, shout out to zombie squad, zombiehunters.org. Um, so just something I think was interesting whenever I paid attention to, it. I was like, Oh, that's an interesting take. Um, now let's get into act three. Let me talk about what I would use had I been in this movie of the guns that they have. I have the most, like, when it comes to handguns, I'm most familiar with the Beretta 92 and 9mm and the Jericho. I, I have the platforms and manual of arms for both I'm very, very, very familiar with. Um, as much as I love the Beretta, I'm 100% going with that Jericho handgun. Um, I, I love the Jericho series, whether it be the Baby Eagle, Ch Bull Cherokee, any of the clones, anything like that. 9mm, when it comes to having to get headshots, is good because it's powerful enough, but it's not going to blow your hand away where you can't do follow-up shots quickly. And ammo isn't too heavy. You get, air, air quotes here, higher capacity. Um, so I'm going to go with the Jericho as my sidearm. And if I had to pick a rifle to go, like my, my primary weapon... I'm going to go, oh God, these, these are boring answers, but the M4 carbine, you know, tricked out with a, a nice reflex sight. Um, I know EOTech is used to be the golden child of reflex sights, and now it's considered a little bit more taboo uh, because of some of the issues. And, you know, some people say it's not worth the money, but, you know, some kind of good red dot reflex sight on an M4 carbine. I, that's what I'm going to go with because I want something there because they're like something like the AK where it's more piston operated, right? You have a big chunky 
piston being hit by the gas and cycling can cause more drastic recoil than gas uh, direct impingement, kind of, pseudo-gas direct impingement from the M4s. Generally a little bit more softer shooting. I say this as a huge AK fan that the M4 is softer shooting, and the round itself is lighter than the AK round, and um, so you can have more ammo, and if we're talking about headshots, so I think as far as like picking the accuracy of those little shots, the M4 has more practical, quick accuracy of follow-up shots than something like the AK. Um, I've never shot a Tavor to pick that one. Uh, it still uses the same round and mags as the AR-15, M16, M4 platform, but that bullpup it does have some manual of arms issues, and since I'm not familiar with it, I'm not going to pick it because reloads can get clunky. As nice as it would be to have a longer barrel and a shorter package, give me the Jericho, give me the M4 carbine. Those are my boring picks for this movie if I could pick um, a gun. Now, if I could bring anything into the movie to use, this is part of a bigger question of what is the best zombie apocalypse gun? And that is a very, very difficult to answer. Um, and again, I think I might do a whole podcast on zombies, right? On different forms of zombies and things like that. With these fast-moving zombies, as much as I would want, like, a shotgun because you can just start blast and get headshots with, like, buckshot a little bit easier and, and a little bit more um, definite, shall I say, right? Going back to Clint Smith where uh, pistols put holes in people, rifles put holes through people, and um, shotguns with the right load, right distance takes off chunks. Um, the shotgun would be nice, but I think you'd get overwhelmed with these swarms of zombies and your reloads are slow with them. So I'm not going to go shotgun. I'm going to want a modern assault-style rifle. I think the 5.56 is one of the better rounds because it is light. It has plenty of punch. Um, but I, let's throw a wild card out here because I already picked the M4 for the movie guns that they gave me options to. I'm taking the AK-74. There are drawbacks to the AK-74 as the mag changes are a little bit slower than on the M4 platform, but the 5.45 by 39 round ballistics very similar to the 5.56. I love AKs. They shoot so well for me just with regular iron sights. Um, you know, you can throw an optic on it on one of those side rails with quick disconnect. That way, if it gives you problems, just poof, pop it loose. Now you're with irons and I know that they shoot well for me. So I'm going with an AK-74. Um, my favorite's a Bulgarian AK-74, which I have plenty, 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 many hundreds of rounds. I don't know if I would say thousands, but hundreds of rounds down the range with a Bulgarian AK-74. So I'm going to take that one. Um, as my sidearm, that can be a tricky one because 9mm is, I would say, good enough for headshots, good enough to get to the brain, some people would say, oh, 22 is good because you can get headshots all day, ammo super light, you get a good reliable one. Um, I don't know if a 22 would be best for getting like solid headshots on fast moving targets. Um, 22 versus skull. A lot of boomers would be like, oh, it's great because it bounces around inside the brain. I don't think it does. Um, you know, depend, whenever you look at tests, sometimes the 22 does so well. Sometimes it, it's like, oh, that's not good. Plus, you're dealing with rimfire, what's not as reliable. I'd be wary of the 22. 
you know, Keltec makes their high capacity 22 mag stuff, uh, but then you're dealing with Keltec. They have cool designs, but maybe not the most battle proven. And then again, you're dealing with 22 mag. It's also rimfire, not as reliable as centerfire. Uh, you can do some kind of 5.7, whether it be the FN or the Ruger, but then uh, weird ergonomics because of that round. And I don't know if you save a lot of weight necessarily with with that. <sighs> I might go, here's my non-answer, right? I my AK-74. I'm carrying a 9mm handgun, and I want something that's light. I'm going to, and I need, I need to be accurate with good headshots, so I'm picking the Walther PPQ subcompact, because at least I have 10 rounds or 15, depending on what magazine I put in that gun. It's small enough not to get in the way because I'm going to be running for my life. 9mm is powerful enough to get through, but it's not like 45 or 10 mil or big revolver round where it's heavy. Um, and then if I have to fight like a human, say there's a human that's trying to do evil stuff and steal all my crap, right? So I'm going to go Walter PPQ subcompact. Um, AK-74 is my primary. And then maybe if I have a backpack, throw in a nice lightweight 22 in there. And let's go with a revolver, right? A little, you know, double action. What's a good, I don't even know what a good 22 revolver that's lightweight would be. Uh, I don't know, maybe even like a buck mark or, or uh, something small. That way it's like, okay, this isn't sewing me down, but if I need to go 22 where I'm like, oh, I have a brick of 22, which only weighs a couple pounds. I have 500 rounds of 22 on board to do headshots. Yeah, maybe, but AK-74, Walther PPQ subcompacts, maybe a 22 as a reserve for what I'm taking. As far as movie guns, give me the M4, give me the Jericho. Um, like I said, World War Z, awesome book, awesome movie. Um, not the best movie of all time, but it's up there. It's up there with a, it's one of the better zombie movies out there. So definitely watch it if you haven't. Again, this is Dr. Gary with the Internet Movie Firearms Podcast. And as always, I apologize for rambling because these episodes are getting longer and longer every time. And as always, we're on this internet practicing our First Amendment to practice our Second Amendment. Everyone have a good night. Adios.